You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Uh, we want to be a consistent team. We want to play to your staples every night. And when you do, uh, you have a chance to win hockey games. Listen, winner, like if we win, we're not going to think we're, we're, the, we're the hot shots. And if we lose, we're not, oh, my God, we're having this guy's falling. They're very large men. They, they're, uh, that was my first impression and prevailing thought was these dudes are humongous. Oh, no, I got that dog in me. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. I learned this morning that this is intern Joseph's last day on the job. So hello and goodbye to you, intern Joseph. Thanks, guys. Going to miss you very much. I'm going to miss you as well. I like having a tall intern around. It's good. Mm-hmm. The tall intern program here at Sportsnet 650. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. We are brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. Guest list begins today at 6.30. Mike Tannier, normally our Monday morning quarterback, now our Thursday morning quarterback, uh, from The Messenger, our NFL insider. He will join us ahead of Thursday Night Football, once again featuring... The Seattle Seahawks, this time going to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Vegas apparently has watched the last few Seahawks games because they go into tonight as slim nine-point underdogs Mm -hmm. to the Dallas Cowboys. To be fair, Dallas has won its last three games by at least 20 Doesn't it seem weird that the Seahawks are smaller underdogs than the Huskies against the Ducks tomorrow? It does because the Huskies, you know, are a perfect (laughs) 12-0. In their football season. And the, and the Seahawks, they're, they're not, right? They're not undefeated, right? No, they okay. are not undefeated. So we'll be joined Taking by Mike Tannier. Two losses, I think. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll be joined by Mike Tannier at 6.30, 7 o'clock. Darren Elliott is going to join us. He is a studio analyst for Scripps Sports for of the Vegas Golden Knights, who, of course, are in town tonight. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. They're taking on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk to Darren. But everything that's gone on with Vegas hit a little bit of a wobble. As of late, have had trouble finding the back of the night. They got injuries on defense. So we'll talk to Darren Elliott about the Vegas Golden Knights at 7 o'clock. 7.30, Barclay Parnetta, Vancouver Giants general manager. And then at 8 o'clock, the Drancer, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Speaking of Sportsnet 650, tonight, Vegas, Vancouver, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, pregame, postgame, and the actual game, all right here on Sportsnet 650. Also... Seahawks Cowboys tonight. So a pretty good sports night on a Thursday night. Working in reverse on the guest list. Drancer at 8. Barclay Parnett at 7.30. Darren Elliott at 7. Mike Tannier at 6.30. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? 
Happen is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. Uh, the Canucks returned to practice yesterday. Patrick Alvin spoke to the media in the aftermath of the Anthony Beauvillier trade. There were two major takeaways. We will start with Alvin, and then we will get to what transpired at practice last night. But Alvin was asked a myriad of questions about the Canucks' start to the season, the Beauvillier trade, what they might do with all that cap space. You know, they're not going to just stash it away for a rainy day. You got the cap space to spend. You got to go spend it. Um, I think there were two really interesting points with regards to the biggest, most glaring issue on the team, that, of course, being the blue line. Are you going to go out and add someone via trade, or are you just going to go out and sign Ethan Bear? And actually, Alvin spoke to Ethan Bear's situation specifically. Uh, we've got the audio here, Greg. Let's fire it up. Patrick Alvin, Canucks general manager, yesterday talking about Ethan Bear, checking in with his camp, and what might happen when he might join the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, spoiler, it might not be all that soon. I've been in contact with, with Ethan's agent uh, since uh, last year, and we check in uh, frequently. Uh, Ethan is, an, is a UFA, and uh, I'm sure he will reach out to us and, and other teams when he's getting closer to be ready. Do you have any idea of a timeline of when that might be? I, I don't really know. Um, I think that's something up to Ethan and, and his, his agent that he's working through. You know, I think you're right when you say if there's a glaring issue facing the Canucks, it's the lack of depth on the blue line. And um, there's no way the coaching staff wants to be playing four guys so much and two guys barely at all. For example, Tuesday against Anaheim. Yes, they won. So that's a good thing. Yes. Then you look at the ice time. Cole McWard logs just over nine minutes and Noah Juleson barely eclipsed 13 even if you're not all that concerned that Hughes and Hronick are playing so much, even if you think they can handle that, maybe fatigue is an issue, but maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a concern when it comes to playing Tyler Myers. And I think Ian Cole is even shown a little sign of fatigue lately. And both those guys were over the 20-minute mark. Uh, against the Anaheim Ducks. So, you know, Alvin was asked outright if he needed another defenseman. And, you know, he doesn't say much, but he actually did admit. He said, I think we can get help on the back end. Yes. So add him to the list of general managers who are going to be looking for help on defense. Um, We all know the Toronto Maple Leafs are probably going to be looking. And frankly, both those teams might be looking at the same team, the Calgary Flames, who have a bunch of pending UFA D-men, but are the Flames going to make any trades right now? To me, this is more about how long are they willing to go with the current situation as opposed to if they'll address it. I feel like inevitably they're going to have to address it. Well, they're going to get they're going to get Susie back eventually, but not for I don't know a month. Yeah, and I think you even need to look beyond just getting Susie back because remember when Susie's healthy, you still don't have an ideal situation. God, we spent countless hours leading into the season, talking about how it's not the ideal fit. The pieces on the blue line, collectively, you probably like them. There's good talent there. But going into the year, there was a lack of depth and the lack of balance righty-lefty, and they never really properly addressed it. Then Susie got hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're seeing it's – I mean, you, you're going into games now where two human beings, 
Cole Ward and Noah Juleson combined aren't even playing the same amount as one. Like, we're not talking about sheltered minutes anymore. <laughs> we're talking about just barely getting by. Yeah, talk, With, talking out a line where he was saying, like, yeah, I talked to footy at the end of the games, and I was like, we got to get those guys out more, and we got to play these guys less. But if you're in the middle of a dogfight, yeah. right, and the Canucks have entered the third period tied a bunch of times, fortunately against the Anaheim Ducks, they came out on the right side of the game. But if you go into those games, you, you're not thinking about getting Cole McWard enough minutes. You're thinking about, like, we want the best guys out there so that we can... You get your phone on there, friend? I'm trying to play something from Teams so that I can play it for our show, but it's, oh, my phone has gone haywire. You're playing on playing it right now, Very professional, you? Michael. Oh, okay. Thank hey, you. Hey, you know what? I'm trying to do work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to put in the work. I was trying to find the Alvin clip where he actually talks about adding a defenseman and then alluded to what you said, which was everyone is in the market trying to get defensemen. Um, I wonder if we're going to see Matt Irwin tonight. He's a veteran guy that didn't really get much of a chance uh, at training camp or in the exhibition slate. Um, the pairings yesterday, according to Brendan Batchelor, who was at practice, Hughes was with Heronic. Now, um, because they played, they had played so much, Ian Cole and Tyler Myers weren't there, so maybe we shouldn't read too much into these lines or these pairings, mm -hmm. but Irwin and Juleson were together, and then the third pair was Friedman and McWard. And I know a lot of people haven't, hated what they've seen from Friedman, but I think the coaching staff has an issue with the way he, um, not necessarily his physicality or anything like that, but he makes some mistakes out there. So I was, Irwin's really, I mean, again, remember, Friedman was in the AHL before he came to the Canucks. Right. So Irwin's actually really interesting uh, brackets within the context of this conversation. On his own, he's probably not that interesting. But in this conversation, he's interesting because if you want to talk about a guy that looked like he was ready-made to be that seventh defenseman, it sure as hell felt like it was him. He's played nearly 500 games in the NHL. Yeah. He's been to a Stanley Cup final. I mean, we covered that Stanley Cup final. Granted, he didn't play a lot. He, but he, he barely played. He was out remember? there. He, he was Colvick Ward out there. He's like, I get nine minutes a night, but I love these nine minutes. But he played all the way to the final. And even last year, in I mean, again, in Washington last year, he played 61 games. Now, Washington wasn't great or anything, mm -hmm. but compared to Hirose and Friedman and Juleson and McWard, Matt Irwin is a far more veteran, far more experienced NHL defenseman. Now, it could be a case of foot speed, right? He's not exactly the most fleet of foot guy, and at 36 he's years 36 old. He's 36 years old, right? Like, but you're, you're saying all these things like he's played all these games, and in, in a way, it's like, yeah, he's been a professional hockey player for a while. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you just wonder what the catch is because on resume alone, you'd think he would have been ahead of some of these younger guys that, quite frankly, didn't get the nod. Well, we're going to find out, I think. I think it's gotten to the point where if you're playing McWard 9, Juleson 11, you don't really trust Hirose. You might as well try. McWard and Hirose are the same thing to me. They're young guys that might have potential, but mm -hmm. I think they need more time in the AHL, and there's just going to be a trust factor with the coaching staff, and Hiroshi got sent down. And if you're not sold on um, Friedman being the acquisition coming in, and maybe they, you know, as you mentioned, there might be just some inherent mistakes when he plays, this isn't worth, this isn't a bad shot. You may as well take a look at it. Of course, 
if you do it, you run into the same problem that we just talked about. It's like, well, can you throw Cole McWard into a tight game against Anaheim? Well, can you throw Matter when cold into a game against the Vegas Golden Knights, right? And that's what's on tap tonight. A Vegas team that sputtered a little bit, but still, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champions and a team that got off to a crazy start this season at 11-0-1. Liam and Calgary text in, I'm terrified of trading with Calgary because I think we will get fleeced from what I heard. They don't want to trade within the the division, which would suggest that we would have to give up more. Yeah, listen, if if there's one thing that we've seen from this management uh, group is that they're they're not going to give up the farm for a rental or something. You know, the Hironic deal, did they give up a lot? Yeah, they give up Bo Horvat, but he was on an expiring contract, and they gave up a first-round pick that they uh, – sorry, they didn't give up Horvat. They got the first-round pick in the Horvat trade, but they gave up the first-round pick that they got. But Hironic is a piece that's going to be – like the plan with Hironic is he's going to be with the Canucks for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, If they acquire a rental like Zadorov, I don't expect them to give up much. And I think the Calgary situation is really complicated for a number of reasons because I think there is that division thing where they probably don't want to strengthen the Vancouver Canucks. Mm -hmm. There's other teams, though. The Toronto Maple Leafs make way more sense to me as a trading partner for the Calgary Flames, with the Calgary Flames, than the Vancouver Canucks do for two reasons. They're out of the division. They're out of the conference. And Brad for living knows all those players. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, and they they have a they have a real need in Toronto just as much as there there is in Vancouver to address the blue line, if not more of a need because I think the Canucks at least have higher higher quality players. Like the, the, the Leafs don't have a Quinn Hughes, Morgan Riley isn't Quinn Hughes, and you know T.J. Brody isn't Philip Peronic. They need they don't even have quality at the like, like the type of quality the Canucks do at, on their top pair. Yeah, and the other thing about Cal- Calgary that makes them really interesting and going to be the bell of the ball for the next three months months when it comes to making calls is. Chris Johnson of The Athletic just put out their first big trade board. I think he beat Sarah Valley to the punch by like a day. And on the big board, the top four players available for trade deadline acquisitions are all Calgary Flames. It's Noah Hanavan, Elias Lindholm, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov. Number five, to put it in perspective, is Sean Walker of the Philadelphia Flyers. And number six is Ilya Labushkin. So not only... I like those two players, by the way. Yeah, it's fine. But I think it's an illustrative point that not only does Calgary have all the assets, the assets tend to drop off a cliff after you go outside of Calgary. And I do wonder... And Calgary has no reason to make any moves right now. Not right now. There's no reason for them. Unless Nikita Zadorov is going to be like so disruptive in his trade request that he's like walking around, you know, like... I don't know, slapping guys in the face or that something would be like aggressive. that. You know, that would be very aggressive. They might get them think, fired up. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, there, there's no reason for them to do anything right now unless they get something that they can't say no to. Well, well it's a time old adage in among NHL executives: is if you have time, use time. Right? If you can be patient, be patient. And we've seen that, you know, in countless markets, including Vancouver. Uh, okay, I want to move to the Vegas Golden Knights real quick because they are tonight's opponent. Uh, Vegas comes in, as you may know the defending Stanley Cup champions, and then got off to a buzzsaw of a start. 11-0-1 over their first 12. They've kind of hit the skids as of late. They've lost three in a row in five of their last six. Part of the reason why, uh, Shea Theodore has gone on injured reserve. He underwent surgery for an upper body injury. Alec Martinez is day-to-day as well. So if you want to get an idea 
of how many other teams are being affected by injuries specifically on their blue line. Look no further than the Vegas Golden Knights, who are now playing Ben Hutton with regularity and a guy named Caden Korzak. Mm-hmm. No idea who he is, but he's playing with regularity. And that just kind of illustrates an earlier point. There's not just one or two teams looking for defensive help. There's a lot of teams that are struggling with blue liners because there's a shortage of guys and a lot of teams that want to be competitive. So here's a here's something I didn't expect to ask um, sure. ahead of this season. Could tonight be a first-round playoff preview? That's a very good question, my friend, because if you look at the standings right now with Vegas kind of coming back to earth a little bit, their bulge, yeah, bulge, bulge point atop the division is now just down to one point, right? Be- because LA's coming on like gangbusters mm-hmm. and they got fewer games played. If you look at a 2-3 matchup, it's sitting right there. Is right? it really a bulge if there's only one point? It's a small bulge, okay? They're all bulges. They all count. Doesn't matter the size of the bulge. It's a bulge. A bulge is a bulge. Okay. Just need to clarify. Yeah. Uh, if it is, what do we think of the Canucks' chances of beating Vegas in a seven-game series? Yikes. That's a good team. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how else to say it. I love what Vancouver's done this year. Because if Vancouver, if they make the playoffs, I don't think they're going to finish ahead of Vegas or L.A. Like, I just don't. You think they're going to be a 2-3? Yeah, that's well, fair. no, 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 or or a wild card. Sure, so yeah, yeah, in yeah. that case, they're, they're getting, not going to be number one. They're getting division. L.A., Vegas, or who's first place in in is it Colorado? First place in, in Dallas, Dallas. So they're they're going to get you know regardless, they're going to get a really good team if they make the playoffs. And it's fun to talk about this sort of stuff. Like, who do you think they match up best against? Um, Vegas for me. The Canucks have just always had problems with Vegas, like right from the very start, right from when Vegas came into the league. I remember talking to Travis Green about Vegas yep. and being like, man, is that the way you want the Canucks to play? And he's like, I think a lot of coaches would like their team to play like the <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights. Uh-huh. Uh, they just have a way about them. Um there doesn't seem to be anything, unless we've seen it recently. There is doesn't seem to be anything that's gotten like stale about them. You know, they they play with such enthusiasm. They're hard to beat in Vegas. Although the Canucks have been hard to beat in Vancouver this year. Yeah, they've been, they're they're just a very loaded team, and that's what happens when you're as hyper aggressive as they've been under Bill Foley, and then uh, the management of like Kelly McCrimmon going back to George McPhee and everything. They've got. I mean, they tick all the boxes, right? They've got the one C, the elite guy in Jack Eichel. Their blue line went healthy. I mean, you want to talk talk about the best one-two punches. They don't necessarily play alongside one another. But when you can roll out Petrangelo, Theodore. Like, Theodore was playing at a borderline Norris caliber level this year before he got hurt. He was mm-hmm. a pointy game defenseman as well, right? Petrangelo is so good. Yeah. I think he's underappreciated still. Nick Haig, Braden McNabb. They've got depth on defense. Oh, and they, size, too. Yeah. Nick Haig and Braden McNabb. Like, you go into the corners with them, you're probably going to come out with a bruise. And the big reason that they were so dominant in the playoffs last year is because they had maybe the best fourth line in all of the National Hockey League. So when it came down to can your bottom six outduel our bottom six, the answer was often for Vegas no yours can't we're going to win those battles so they are the battle tested too now that's the other thing is I mean Jack Eichel for example mm-hmm. I was listening to some programming Vegas Golden Knights stuff in the offseason they were like there's probably not a player in the NHL right now that's more and I don't want to say like fat and happy and sassy because he's mission accomplished but like all of the unnecessary drama and questions about him kind of got lifted off his shoulders last year like he yeah. got the trade that he wanted 
He got to win a cup. And he played was, well. He was a huge contributing yeah. member of it. Contract settled. He's all settled in in the market. Like, now he can just go out and play. And look at the numbers this year, right? I believe he's their leading scorer, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken. Or if not, he's right near the top. And he's over a point a game. So when you look at Vegas's defense and you look at the size of that defense... This is why you're hearing reports that the Canucks might be interested in Zadorov. It's a model that works. Vegas, right. that is. It works. Yeah. Especially in the postseason, right? Like, like I, 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 th- I think everyone should be concerned um, about the if, – if we're talking about a playoff team, right? Right? You know, like hopefully. And then you get into the playoffs, you're like, oh, God, we're too small on the back end. Right, like you, you know, Noah Juleson, um brings some physicality, but I, I don't know if he's good enough to be in your in your six. That's um, a key part of it. Carson, right? you Carson, can't just be Car- big. Yeah, you can't. Well, no, no, Juleson's pretty physical, but I just don't know if. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if he's, can't he's just good be enough. big and physical. You well, gotta be able to play. Well, Tyler Myers is big, but he makes a lot of mistakes. But he can play. Um, Carson Soucy can play, yep. and he's big and physical, and there's a reason why they targeted him. Um, but if you're gonna bring back Ethan Bear, that doesn't make your top four. Very, very, like, at all more physical, mm-hmm. right? Um, Ian Cole is physical in the, in the same way that kind of Chris Tanev is physical and that he's willing to take punishment. He's a little, he's, he can hit a little harder than Chris Tanev, but good hitter. I think that the Canucks probably are looking around the league and they're saying, look, if you look at the teams for the most part that win the Stanley Cup, um, yeah, they might have a puck mover that's like Quinn Hughes, who's not the biggest guy in the world. They might have two of, two of those guys, but the rest of those guys, mm-hmm. they are big boys that can play the game, and they're going to punish other teams. Mm-hmm. Because th- remember the playoffs? It's a war of attrition. Oh, yeah. A lot of people have forgotten the playoffs. They're like, what? what's it like again? It's like guys get hurt. And the reason they get hurt is because there's big guys out there throwing their weight around, fighting for every inch on the ice. It is mean, nasty hockey, and you have to be prepared for that. So as far as – and a couple people have texted in about this already, and we've referred to them as – you know, litmus test games. There's someone that said it's a yardstick game. It really is. And it's one of the more recent ones that the Canucks are going to have because we called that one in Colorado last Wednesday on November 22nd, another measuring stick game as well. And, and, and even if they didn't pass that in flying colors, I think they passed the class in Colorado. That yeah, was yeah. a tough they, assignment. They you're, on, you're, you're on the road against uh, – and Colorado was um, – had just come off that bad loss to Nashville, so they were ready to go. I, I thought the Canucks, like, it wasn't a masterpiece, but I didn't think they played terribly there. So in the well, no, I think in all the sort of quote unquote big matchups that you've seen this year, and by the way, that retroactively that game against the Rangers where they lost an OT, mm-hmm. the Rangers moved to first place in the NHL last night with that win over Detroit. So that's that another, was just a terrific game. Too. Yeah, and and the Rangers are really good. The Rangers are very good. So that's another measuring stick game. So look, they hung in with New York. Personally, I thought they won that game and were screwed by the referees. Uh, a few nights later, they got the 2 nothing win at home at Dallas, which might have might have been sort of their biggest defensive Picasso this year. That, mm-hmm. was, a gra- that was a great performance yeah. by the Canucks. A couple great saves by Demko as well. Yeah, the game in Toronto was kind of a dud, so they didn't necessarily show up for that one. But there's only been about four or five quote-unquote yardstick, measuring stick type games. Tonight is 100% one of them. And you get a Vegas team that's a little bit little bit vulnerable, but also kind of looking to right the ship. After I think they'd be okay with what they did in Edmonton on Tuesday night. Like, they mm-hmm. got a point out of it. Yeah. At the same time, they gave up four goals. They had to rally in the third. A Ben Hutton goal sparking that comeback, too, by the way. And um, I think that, you know, 
where Bruce Cassidy has them, and we'll talk to Darren Elliott about this coming up at 7.30. I think that's when he's coming on the show. Um, he's really said, like, how do we keep the momentum going? How do we keep an edge? How do we not get content with, you know, winning a Stanley Cup? And then we go into this year and we just try to get to the playoffs again. So Scott texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And if you want to text in, it's 650 650. Uh, Scott texts in, it is just so fun to be in this position to actually think of this stuff. It's awesome. I was waiting years for this. To have Vegas come in a quarter of the way through the season and go, this could be a potential playoff matchup. Yeah. I don't when I, 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 I wonder I wonder what the I wonder what the players are thinking. Like are they thinking that same thing? I bet they are. I bet that message is there. Mm-hmm. Like this could be this could be a potential playoff. You know, I, I don't think Rick Tockett has been scared of using that word. He said after the loss to San Jose, playoff teams don't do this. Right? They don't t- they don't they don't take their opponents lightly. So I don't think they're scared of using that word. Um you know, we haven't seen the LA Kings yet, but there m- might be that similar attitude around a game like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vegas has just seemed to be like the Kings. The Kings are a good team, don't get me wrong, but I don't feel like they've inflicted the same amount of punishment on a number of the players on this Canucks team that Vegas has. Vegas has, for the most part, dominated the Canucks since their inception. So it is the Vegas Golden Knights in town tonight. Canucks, Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock. Before then, the appetizer, if you will, Seahawks, Cowboys from Dallas and some NFL action, Thursday Night Football. Speaking of the National Football League, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us next. We will look ahead to Thursday Night Football. We will look ahead, all due respect, to the Seattle Seahawks and the Dallas Cowboys. But the game of the weekend has to be the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. We'll look ahead to all that with Mike Tannier next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us in just a second here. The highlight of hour one. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. It's just there over yonder. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. It's a good night to sit inside and watch the Sprots. It's cold outside. Jason was complaining about how cold it was outside this morning. Don't go outside. (laughs) Stay inside. Thursday night football, Seahawks, Cowboys. Then count them 14 NHL games tonight, including... 
the Vancouver Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights. So there's some good there's some good watching to be had. Yeah, actually, the Canucks game will probably start just as the Seahawks game becomes out of reach for the Seahawks. And it might even <laughs> officially be officially out of reach. Might even be earlier than that for the Seahawks, based on how the last two weeks have gone. Uh, the phone lines we go. Our NFL insider from the Messenger, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. You, you, you guys are really fatalist about the Seattle Seahawks tonight. That uh, that loss to the Rams a couple of weeks ago ruined us. It was the Rams. I mean, whatever. We weren't happened. even excited about the Niners game last week, Mike. Well, I don't yeah. even think we talked about it on the Thursday. Thanks Thanksgiving <laughs> or the Friday because it was Thanksgiving. We just kind of were like, well. We saw that coming. That game against the Rams, after what they did in the opening week, and they were so bad, and they were like, we learned all these lessons about what not to do against the Rams in the second half. And then they went out and did most of those things. It was just, it was awful. And it really set the stage for, they got a tough three games in a row with San Fran, Dallas, and Philly. Dallas, of course, is tonight. And you just looked at it, and you're like, this team isn't even close to competing with the best teams in the NFC. And that's kind of it. And yeah, you didn't see that on Thanksgiving night. You know, I look at the injuries on the offensive line and sort of the revolving door at right tackle. And it's like, you know, against some opponents, it's like, okay, we're missing one tackle. We're down to our third stringer. We're bringing 45 year olds, you know, you know, out of retirement to go play this position. Uh, we'll get through this week. We'll get through that uh, next week. Not, not against Nick Bosa, not against Micah Parsons, not against the Eagles pass rush. I, I think it is going to be a long night for the Seahawks. Tell us a bit about how the Cowboys season has gone. Oh, every, everything, you know, after the hiccups and the 49ers game will call pretty big hiccup and the Cardinals lost a big hiccup, everything is going right right now. You know, you can see Dak Prescott is playing very, very well. There's there's no Dak questions. Usually there's Dak questions this time of year. There's none of them. C.D. Lamb is playing well. You're seeing guys like, I mean, Deron Bland, it's phenomenal. Pass rush looks good. Uh, you know, the offense is in sync. And you say, well, what's the secret to this? And one of the secrets is playing the Giants, the Commanders, and the Panthers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For three consecutive weeks mm-hmm. here. While the Eagles are out there sweating it out every week against the, the, the uh you know, the um the, the Chiefs and the Bills and everything, the Cowboys are in the soft spot of their schedule here. Uh so well, I'm and I'm not gonna include the Seahawks in the soft spot. It's about to get tougher. But that's why right now it's hard to get a serious evaluation about the Cowboys, except that they're very, very good and we need to see how they can play against the top competition because again, they got an Eagles loss, they got a Niners loss. I don't know if the Seahawks qualify, I'm afraid, as top competition tonight, but maybe we'll see some of those, you know, fissures that we sometimes see in the Cowboys when things start to be a little harder for them. Do the Cowboys belong in the same class as the Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC? Yeah, I think you have to do that. And again, the Eagles game was close as heck. The Cowboys could have won that about 20, 25 different ways. And a lot of it wasn't mistakes, so to speak. It was, you know, upon further review, that's not a touchdown. Upon further review, Dex, you know, shoelace fell out of bounds, so that's not a two-point conversion. So, you know, they played neck and neck there. You know, they got beat up by the Niners. We might learn this weekend that it's not like a tier. It might be the Niners and then the tier. You know, not not the Niners, Eagles, Cowboys on a tier. We'll see what happens when the Niners play the Eagles on Sunday. But the Cowboys belong there. It's the Lions that are in their own little floating place because the Lions seem to go out there against that top competition week in and week out and say, oh, no, we're not really at that level yet. You mentioned the New York Jets there. The big story yesterday across the NFL was the Jets QB. Aaron Rodgers moved one step closer to, let's call it, the most improbable comeback injury of all time. He returned to practice on Wednesday, limited basis. 11 weeks, 11 weeks. 
after going uh, getting surgery for a torn Achilles. So, okay, by rule, the Jets now have three weeks, 21 days, to decide if they want to activate Rodgers from injured reserve. That expires around December 20th, which just so happens to be right around the time that they're going to play the Washington Commanders. And he's reportedly targeted that game for his return. So a two-part question for you. Do you think we'll see Aaron Rodgers play football again this season? And should Rodgers play football again this season? All right, so there's a lot to unpack here, starting with the idea that, like, he's not an egomaniac, but he wants to return on Christmas Eve. Nothing weird about that. Okay. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> Nothing weird about that. A star, a star shimmers in the dark. Now, okay, when you look at what he's actually doing in practice, according to Robert Soleil, the coaching staff, they wanted to get him from not being allowed to do anything except toss the ball to coaches to being able to throw the ball in one-on-one against receivers, uh, two, two receivers. So we're not talking about seven-on-seven seven yet, you know, anything like that. So there's a little bit of a caveat here in terms of how active Aaron Rodgers really is when you look at what they've done. They've opened up the window, but there's a procedural element to that. That's, that's part of this. And I keep looking at this and saying there's a slim chance that this person is magical like you know, at age 40 and can recover from an injury that you know, even like the Tom Brady's of the world, you know, take a full year with injuries like yep. this. He, he comes back. There's a slim chance he's magical. And then there's a chance that this is sort of an ego-driven thing, and this is all for show. And that everybody, including him, is waiting for the Jets to get to you know, eight losses, nine losses, so they can say, oh, you know what, this is just not the season, it is not worth the risk, but I could have come back. I'll let that, you decide which is really Okay, that, make, that so, makes sense, because when I look at yeah. it, like when you get those gra- yeah. on-screen graphics where they're talking about the AFC playoff picture, and then they've got the quote-unquote in-the-hunt teams, and they still put the Jets yeah. in there, even though they're four and seven, and I feel like they yeah. should put an asterisk. They're like, but not really in the hunt, but they're there. And, you know, yeah. if they manage to win a game or two and if they're still hanging around the fringes, I can see it kind of. But this definitely reeks to me of an entirely an Aaron Rodgers thing, because realistically, now, if you're the Jets and you know he's got the ability to come back, finishing as poorly as you can this season should be the goal because you can bolster yourself in the draft or at the very least, give yourself some options to make some moves. And you run the risk of him coming out there in a meaningless game and just doing the injury all over again. Right. Doing the injury all over again is like the absolute downside. Uh, you know, get, winning a couple games might not be super ideal at the end. Although I get that you, you want to show everybody, like, this is what it could be. You want to show free agents. You want to show Devontae Adams. Who cares about draft order? Devontae Adams needs to see Aaron Rodgers out there. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to help. Like, there is an element to that if he can come back healthy. I don't think he can really come back healthy. I think this is all just a big shit that's being put on, and everybody's waiting for the next loss. Now, right now, by the way, the Jets – Chances of make the playoffs, according to the FTN network, 0.6%. Right. So the next loss knocks them out. You know, could they beat the Falcons? Absolutely. There's a Dolphins game coming up. Could they really beat the Dolphins with Tim Boyle or whoever at quarterback? Probably not. Everyone right now is looking for the face-saving excuse to saying, hey, you know, Rodgers isn't coming back right now. Rodgers isn't going to do it. He's going to do this messianic for want of a better word, thing while he can still go out there, you know, and stand perfectly still and toss the ball to some of his receivers. What do you think think about Aaron Rodgers' old team, the Green Bay Packers? Uh, God, I said it with an accent there. I was like, Packers. Uh, They are five and six. They've won a couple of games in a row. They beat Detroit on Thanksgiving, and I think they've got Kansas City on Sunday night. Um, How has Jordan Love been? Very 
slowly kind of developing. I was actually running some stats right now. And, uh, you know, he, from on short passes, like passes 10 yards or lower, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. He leads the league in 20 plus, plus yard passes. So he throws more bombs than anybody. And they're kind of okay with the bombs. Like he, he's heaving it downfield and Christian Watson and Dobbs and Reed are kind of catching some of them. And that's kind of how they won the last couple of games. That's how they got the shootout with the chargers. The lions turned the ball over a couple of times and they took advantage of that. I don't know if he's developing enough. And I don't think the Packers are sure he's developing enough. It's like, Oh, he, he's getting 10% better, 15% better. He needed to get 60 or 70% better. So I don't know. And that's what's interesting about this team. They're still in the wild card hunt. It's different in the NFC where you can, you know, get in with you know, nine wins, whatever. We'll know more against the chiefs. You know, after that, you know, the, the Packers I'm looking at, they got the giants, they got the Buccaneers, they got the Panthers. If they can get a little run going at the end against those teams, and Love looks good, and Love looks consistent. Love is completing the passes you're supposed to complete. I could see them saying, hey, you know what? This is the progress we were looking for. Let's roll into next season with this guy. If not, well, hey, they'll probably be top 10 draft pick anyway. What do you think the future holds for Justin Fields? <laughs> see, these are what's amazing because I was trying to do this, and it's all related questions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, well, the Fields, if Love doesn't develop, the Packers will be in the market for a quarterback, and that's going to be an issue. They would they would not get uh, Fields because they wouldn't go in division, but there'd be like this knock on thing. Fields is the same way where it looked like he was developing uh, against the Lions. It looked like he was developing earlier in the season against the Commanders, where he looked real good, and uh, against the Broncos, where he looked real good, and, and against the Vikings on Monday night. It depended on when you fell asleep. <laughs> you right. Saw him early or just got so angry at the game you threw something at your TV and it broke. <laughs> Did that happen to you? I was I was tempted, but I was at a restaurant and I didn't really want to pay for the TV. Yeah, <laughs> the problem at the end was two things. First of all, he started fumbling, and when you're the scrambler, you can't be fumbling on the scramblers because teams have to look at it and say, "Well, you know, he'll get us 20 yards that way." No, he'll get you a turnover. And then at the end, when they're trying to run the RPO, and like even like the Vikings second stringers are spotting the RPO, those are worries. That said, you got him. You got you know Mac Jones is going to probably be out the out the door very soon. There's a, it's hard to play musical chairs right now. I have a funny feeling Justin Fields is going to get one more chance in the Safe. NFL because he's shown just enough. And because that talent is so rare and unique, the teams are going to look at the opportunity to see if they can be the one to savage him. What, what's the knock on him? Like, what's the biggest knock on, on Justin Fields? Uh, because to be perfectly honest with you, like I've heard Seahawks fans discussing, hey, maybe you bring Justin Fields in and, and give him a go in Seattle. I could see him and Smith and, and, and trying to see what happens. He, it reminds me a little bit of the young Geno Smith, who was, you know, a little bit of a runaround guy there. It's, after the first scripted drive, you kind, kind of see it fall apart a little bit when, he, you know, he's got to make some more decisions in the, in the pocket. When teams do more to take away the, uh, the, the option game, he starts to struggle a little bit. And a lot of what he can do right really boils down to looking for DJ Moore right now. So it's better than it was last year or the year before. Where he was just you know, un- uh, unplayable as a passer, but because he could scramble for 1,000 yards, he-, he kept the offense moving. Now it's more like he's serviceable as a passer. He- he's going to find you the first read. When he's running, he can find guys, et cetera. The structure of the offense is going to have to be just right for this guy to have him be more than somebody who says, all right, I can get to my number one receiver and I can run. Hey Mike, is Joe Flacco elite? Oh. Are we going to start start asking these questions again? I think he's, he's probably going to start for the Browns this weekend. Joe Flacco isn't? is backo. I, I, I remind you guys, if you don't know, that I live in Joe Flacco's hometown. I knew his family. I knew him growing up. 
And I like to call him a absolute lock, first ballot South Jersey Sports Hall of Famer. Uh, <laughs> here in this hometown, I like there's nobody else quite like him. Um, I'm waiting and seeing what the Cleveland Browns choose to do over the weeks to come. I, I think it, I don't see what they get from putting Joe Flacco out there and saying you're the starter right now. Now against some of these opponents coming up, the Rams, the Bears later on, they might get the Texans and the Jets late in the season when the Texans are falling off a little bit. On the flip side, if they start doing something like, well, Joe, you're going to run the offense, but we're going to bring in uh, Thompson Robinson as the scrambler sometimes. If that's the plan. Because if the whole goal is to get to 17 points and not turn the ball over, I can see them kind of trying to make that work. By the way, all of this is moot if Miles Garrett is out for a couple of weeks. All of this is moot, and the Browns are just kind of fooling themselves. They think they can keep doing this without Miles Garrett in the lineup. Uh, there's an interesting matchup, kind of, uh, between the Chargers and the Patriots this weekend. And the only reason I say that is here's my question. <laughs> Who yeah. is more likely to be in the NFL as a head coach? Will it be Staley as head coach of the Chargers or Belichick as head coach of the Patriots next season? Uh, oh, with their te- well, with their team, with Belichick their teams. Because, yeah, I mean Belichick. You can obviously see him and Kraft sitting down, pull, pulling out the you know twenty year old scotch, <laughs> and saying we're going to try this one more time. You can you can see that and you can understand why. I don't think it's a good idea. You can understand that. I cannot fathom. I cannot fathom the Chargers. Moving forward with Brandon Staley uh, in the weeks to come, and I, I, I have a sense that the Chargers are going to lose this week too. I have a funny feeling, based on what we're hearing out of practice, is that we're going to see Bailey Zappi and uh, uh, Malik Cunningham, the, the scrambling third stringer, out there uh, for the Patriots, and that could be just enough to fool Staley yet again into another game where they lose by three points at the end. And and I can't imagine Staley really recovering from Lue. This offseason because I mean they're not just a bad team they're an awful team right now I can't shake the impression that they're going to do a mutual parting of ways that that Kraft and uh, you know Kraft and his son are ready for this move and they're what they want to do it with dignity and they get rid of Belichick and after that all bets are off okay and people are asking me it's like well yeah they get the young offensive guru and they draft the quarterback I think they should draft a quarterback. I don't think anybody there has any love for Mac Jones and, and that the whole storyline at this point. But you have to replace like an entire organization and franchise and structure. And I don't know how you do that. You don't just grab, you know, Brian Johnson from Detroit and say, here you go, offensive coordinator, you're a hot name. Go out there and change everything. They're going to have to go find like, like a new GM, like a new showrunner there. And that's going to be a long process. And, you know, getting rid of Belichick is not like the end of the problem. If they choose to do it, it's the beginning of saying, what is this organization going to be? That's, and that's a huge question because that organization has been something for, for lifetime, for a generation. Mike, and, I, and it's hard to imagine how they move forward. Mike, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about the game of the week. All due respect to Thursday night football, but it's the, and the chargers Patriots game. Yeah, right. Which is a hundred percent, not the game of the, it's the anti game of the week. Um, <laughs> The 10-1 Philadelphia Eagles take on a San Francisco 49ers team of which you wrote, quote, they are the NFL's best team, hands down, when at full strength. So it's not the Eagles, it's the 49ers. They take each other uh, on Sunday. It's the second slate, 125 kickoff our time. How much are you looking forward to the matchup between the 49ers and the Eagles on Sunday? I'm looking forward to it. I live here in Philadelphia country where every week all of my neighbors, all of my friends have a heart attack 
and then, and then sort of recover by my Monday morning. And I, I think they might be another one here. This is a very tough matchup for the Eagles. The 49ers are at full strength. They're mostly full strength. And, uh, and uh, the Eagles are a team that kind of likes to play from behind. Oh, they don't like to. They have to play from behind every week. 49ers are the best team in the league when it comes to rolling out to a lead, then letting their pass rush sit on that lead. The Eagles can't do what they've done for the last couple of weeks. They can't do that cardiac kids routine. And I think the 49ers are going to take this one from them. And then we'll see what happens. See, see where everybody's at when the playoffs come and they have to do it again. He is our NFL insider from the messenger. Go check out his work in the walkthrough every Monday morning. Mike, thanks for doing this, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight and all the games this weekend. We'll do this again next week. Absolutely. Take care and enjoy the weekend. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from the messenger here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. I forgot to ask him about the Denver Broncos, mm. which is the most improbable story of all the improbable stories. We talked a lot year. about the Broncos with Nick Shook earlier in the week. I also didn't ask him about uh, new sensation Tommy DeVito, who has become <laughs> he's become such a fan favorite of the Giants. The other day, he was uh, he made an appearance at a local sub shop like you know the sandwiches not like an actual subway and he was signing hoagies for a lineup of fans lineup of fans showed up was he signing the actual sandwich or just the he was signing the wrapper of oh, the signing sandwich. it with mayo yeah yeah <laughs> um, and i think it's very illustrative that this nfl season the quarterbacking has been so bad that there's a 40-year-old guy trying to come back from a torn Achilles to play. Joe Flacco is somehow going to play. And Tommy DeVito is a cult hero. Mm-hmm. That's the current state of quarterbacking in the National Football League. Well, I don't think Patriots fans ever want to see Mac Jones again. He's really bad. Have you? Th- th- so He's really bad. Their last three weeks. Yeah. So in week 10, they lost to Indianapolis at home 10-6. to so uh, so imagine a hold on a sec. I know. Imagine a home game losing 10 to 6 to Indianapolis. Uh, I know the Colts have been a little better than maybe some people expected, but it's still that's pretty embarrassing. Then they get a bye week. They're like, "All right, we're going to pull ourselves together. It's a bye week. Maybe we'll get some rest, we'll get some prep mm-hmm. for the big game against the uh New York Giants." Uh they lost 10 to 7 to the New York Giants. It's horrible. It's horrible. No. No, no. Awesome. Well, the yeah, Patriots okay. are going Sorry. through this. It's horrible football. <laughs> horrible football. Awesome to watch it happen. When you watch the Belichick pressers afterwards, I mean, he's <laughs> never enjoying it at the best of times when they're winning. But, I mean, he knows what's going on is that his choice is I either start Mac Jones, who is terrible, or Bailey Zappi, who is also terrible. Yeah. He, Bill Belichick, for all of his unlikableness, he's not a dumb guy. No, he knows he knows how bad his football team is, and he's just kind of there's almost a weird sort of sadistic, like being mired in it mm-hmm. because he keeps trying to change his quarterback and still playing the games like he cares. Like I'm well, not the knock on him, the I'm, knock on him has always been that he can't coach offense too, right? Yeah, and, but and, and, I mean everyone knows he's one of the great. He's the greatest head coach. In NFL history, mm-hmm. but his resume is 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 like is defense, right? Like that's right. that's his calling card, and that's why there might have been some uh, tension between him and Tom Brady at times. And now you've got this situation for Belichick where his if he has a weakness, mm-hmm. it's being um, multiplied because he doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't even have close to a quarterback. 
No, no. And that, I mean, you can enter them into the laundry list of teams that are going to be looking for quarterbacks this offseason, right? I mean, if you want to put together an exhaustive list with all of these sort of maybe candidates, mm-hmm. you're talking about more than half of the NFL that are going to be looking for quarterbacks, right? Think yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, outside of a select few that know what they have, you've got to consider teams that like, is Jordan Love the guy in Green Bay? Well, maybe not. Is Justin Fields the guy in Chicago? Again, maybe not. Kyler Murray in Arizona? Maybe not. And those are the teams that have entered the fray compared to teams that just are completely decimated. Yeah, it's just like obviously. Like 100% we need to go yeah, get yeah, a quarterback. Yeah. Like New England, 100% needs to go find a quarterback. We got a text in. Apparently that Colts-Patriots game was in Germany. I must have missed that one. Oh, yeah, no. That We came in afterwards. I think Was, was I on vacation then? Yeah, so I came in afterwards and I was like, there's a great advertisement for Germany to never accept the NFL ever again <laughs> as you subjected us to Gardner Minshew and Mac Jones putting up a combined 17 points or whatever it was. Darren Elliott is going to join us next to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights who are in town to play your Vancouver Canucks tonight at Rogers Arena. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.